Even if you're not a diehard NBA fan, you've definitely heard of Magic, Magic Johnson. And if you are a diehard Hoops fan, then you've probably heard of Lady Magic, a.k.a. Nancy Lieberman. The Queens-born Lieberman was an inaugural member of the 1976 and first-ever women's Olympic basketball team. She also had a pro career from 1980 to 2008. And after her career in the WNBA, she went on to coach the Detroit Shock, the Texas Legends, and the NBA Sacramento Kings as an assistant. Today on 28 Minutes of Sport, we'll talk to Nancy Lieberman about the newly crowned world champion L.A. Lakers. We'll also hear about how the Hoops legend got into the game from the playgrounds of New York City to the NBA and WNBA. It's time to talk Hoops heroes, and we're going to start out with one of the all-time greatest, Nancy Lieberman. I'm here with Nancy Lieberman, Hoops legend, and... Uh, Longtime WNBA star. So, how are you doing? I am excellent. Thanks for having me. Good deal. Well, obviously, I wanted to talk a little bit of basketball. I'm kind of one of those people who's fixated on positions, and I know that you are a point guard. I kind of see uh, the position of point guard as uh, one that's maybe a little underrated, but highly effective. And I think of the the people who played point guard, the good ones are really great. So, talk about your your role in the NBA, WNBA, and just sort of playing that position throughout your career. Well, I, you know, it's interesting for me as a point guard because I started uh, in New York, in Queens, uh, even when I, before I was on the Olympic team in high school. I was a power forward. Uh, I started out being a center in high school and then on the Olympic team went to uh, power forward and kind of morphed into my collegiate days at Old Dominion as a point guard mm-hmm. and a big point guard like Magic Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I don't I, I don't have the numbers in, in front of me, Andy, but I can tell you that virtually the top paid players in the NBA mm-hmm. uh, point guard is an acronym now for who brings the ball up the floor. It could yeah. be, you know, could be Rondo, it could be LeBron James. You know, many times when Kobe played, it was him or Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. It's not the traditional point guard, uh, you know, like Rondo, mm-hmm. it, it's just changed because the game has changed. So I, I'm glad I'm a point guard because my job uh, as the most valued position on the floor, mm-hmm. you, you make the decisions, you're the quarterback, you have the relationship with the coach on what they want or do mm-hmm. you break it off? Uh, what do you see? Because you want to, you don't want to play the play, you want to play the game. And that mm-hmm. means you, you're a critical thinker. Yeah, we're all about STEM. We're all about math. We're all about you know inertia, critical thinking, and that's your quarterback. That's your point guard. Okay, well, I'm, I'm guessing you probably watched uh, the NBA bubble and, and some of the NBA finals. You know, um, I think a lot of people predicted that the Lakers are going to be in it, if not champions. And they're one of the big, you know, the big historic franchises. So, I'm, is it good for the game that the Lakers are back on top, or you know, what do you think about this coming in towards the end of LeBron's career? and the fact that he's still effective with newer people around him. LeBron James is by far, you know, right now the greatest uh, player of his generation. Mm-hmm. You know, we can we can go through the history of sports and say, was it Ali or was it Holmes or was it this one or that one? Mm-hmm. But what, what uh, LeBron James has done is nothing short of amazing um, mm-hmm. on the court and off the court. And, you know, I commend him for that. The game is in a great place. And you know what? It is good for the Lakers to win, actually. It is good. I, I know you're, you are you grew up in Philly, right? It yeah. is good for the New York Yankees to win. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is good for small town teams, you know, to, to be in the hunt. 
mm-hmm. like it was uh, this year, you know, with Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. But traditionally, the ratings, um, whether it's the Celtics and Lakers, whether it used to be, you know, back in the day, the Knicks and the Lakers, it, it doesn't hurt the NBA to have the Lakers, you know, tie the Celtics, I think mm-hmm. 17th uh, yeah. championship. Yep. It's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. It says Good. a lot about LeBron, uh, about Rob Palenka, and about Jeannie Buss, yeah. you know, what their focus was. Winning is hard, by the way. Yeah. Winning is hard. That's why so few do it. Well, so maybe take a point from that, talking about Jeannie Buss. I mean, obviously, she was part of the organization before she took the helm and her, her dad was there and, you know, built a, built a lot of what the Lakers are. I don't know if you know her personally, if, if you've looked closely at how she runs the organization. I imagine you know a lot more about the ins and outs of a major N- NBA or WNBA franchise than I do. So just kind of want to get your read on that being where we are. Well, I have known Jeannie uh, probably since the early 80s when, uh, you know, Dr. Buss owned World Team Tennis. So, you know, she has paid the price. She has intimately been integrated into all levels of the Laker franchise. And for, for Dr. Bust, when he passed, and I played for the Lakers, you know, I, I was there when Dr. Bust and Jerry West wanted me in 1980 to play for them, for Pat Riley in their summer league. They, um, they're outside of the box thinkers, but being outside the box, they're traditional in how they win and building that foundation. Jeannie's done it the right way with relationships, mm-hmm. with trust, with instinct. To be a great business person, um, uh, somebody once told me this many, many years ago. It was actually Warren Buffett. He goes, never make decisions based on emotion because you'll almost mm-hmm. always make the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Jeannie Buzz is a compassionate, kind, brilliant woman and you know people have said we women are emotional well it's okay to be emotional in certain situations but business-wise she's run this organization you know just with with you know tone tenor trust and and leaving for people to do their job okay good so i got i got a lot of uh, cool opportunities and i spoke to shack a couple of weeks ago and I, I got to speak to uh scotty pippen which is cool because i've been in, i've actually been in chicago almost as long 25 years here so i saw the second round of the bulls one thing that uh, scotty pippen had talked about was how important the olympic experience and sort of the international broad experience of basketball actually was to him not nothing to take away from the bulls now i know you've been all over the world you played in the olympics kind of want to get your read also on the international state of basketball and, and being that women are a bigger part of that. You know, I don't know if you do you get to travel abroad or do you, do you have a kind of a read on sort of where people are at in China and Europe in terms of how they see basketball in the U S and how influential it is or still is. Well, we have to give a, a tip of the cap to our late friend, David Stern uh, for making that move and making uh, NBA basketball, WNBA basketball, um, on the forefront of what was happening on a, a bigger stage, an international stage. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so so I am a two-time Olympian and I agree 100% uh, with Scottie Pippen. It's one thing to play for your team. And if you're one of the top players on your team, you know who you're going to get matched up with. It's mm-hmm. I'm not saying practice is going to be easy, but you know what you can do. When you're playing on the Olympic team and you're practicing 
against Lynette Woodard or Ann Myers or Pat Summit or, I mean, it's it's an ass kicking every day because you're playing against the best of the best. And, and Scotty, you know, did that. You saw the jawing on the, you know, the last dance or the dream team yeah. you know, documentary with Magic and, and Michael. That stuff is real. Mm -hmm. uh, that's sometimes there's even fights in practice with mm -hmm. both men and women because you're playing for a bigger cause than yourself. And it's highly competitive. We're splitting hairs. Who's better? Mm -hmm. And really, there's nothing like representing the United States of America and hearing the national anthem and standing on that podium mm -hmm. and bowing down and having that medal put around your neck. Mm -hmm. It's pretty substantial. I mean, it, you know, when you think about it, Tiger Woods doesn't know what that feeling is. Mm -hmm. Many of the NFL players, Larry Fitzgerald doesn't know what that feeling's like, or Tom Brady, Martina Navratilova, Chris Everett. They don't know what that feel. And we're talking about the greats of the game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very, very special and very, very impacting because you try out for you, but you play for America and America might not know you, but they, they support you and they cheer for you. It's, mm -hmm. it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing to be a part of uh, at the Olympics. Good. So I get to interview a lot of women I've spoken to uh, in the last year, Naomi Osaka and Megan Rapinoe. And I, I think of them as, I think that they probably always have been comfortable on an individual basis about speaking about, you know, social justice issues or women's place in sports. Why is it now that we're starting to pay attention a little bit more to, to women in sports and what they have to say about other things than passing the ball or, or making the shot? Is it that we're finally wising up as sports fans or the world is more complicated or the teams are better or what's going on? I think it's a combination thereof. The world is very complicated, but the world is very connected because of the internet. And something that I might say to a friend of mine, you know, here in Dallas or New York or LA, I can just opine what I feel. If I'm strong enough, if I'm secure enough, if I'm not worried about being defriended or somebody not following me on Twitter, you just have to be in a place where you're comfortable. Um, I'm more comfortable today at 62 mm -hmm. years old because my body of work is my body of work. And mm -hmm. it's not a mistake that I'm, I'm supposed to be exactly where I'm supposed to be in my life, in my career as a mom, you know, as an athlete. Um, and, and uh, you know, when, when you look at uh, Naomi or you look at uh, Megan, they are in a very secure place at a, great time in their life because they're younger. They, um, they feel the support, not only from their, you know, uh, their surroundings of their sport, but the world is supporting us. When, when Adam Silver says, I want our players to have a voice, he, it's not a throw line. Mm -hmm. He's saying, I want our players to have a voice. We want to know how you feel. You're not just stinking robots that get paid to be to greet, you know, be great 82 times a year. Yeah. And when you, the player, and I can tell you from both sides as, as player, coach, management, when you have that type of support, you feel like you can do anything and you're not worried about your brand. You're not, you know, worried about losing millions and millions of dollars. And, and, and I will say the only other athlete that I knew that was willing to put it on the line and not worry about anything was my friend and my mentor, Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. uh, so as much as I, I, you know, respect what Colin Kaepernick did, he was not Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Muhammad Ali gave up 
his prime, he gave it up because of social issues of what he felt was right. And he paid the price, you know, by losing his prime. Mm -hmm. But he is a beloved person in, in our history because he stood up for something he really believed in. Mm-hmm. And so I admire anybody who will stand up for what they believe in and willing to, you know, take a shot. You know, people are going to come at you like they recently did, even with Ice Cube and Lil Wayne. Mm-hmm. You know, if you we should be able to say things and don't get mad because you're entitled to say things as well, whether I agree or disagree. Mm-hmm. That's where we are in our country. Yeah. When you were playing, um, who were the players on the court that you uh, liked to play against? The, the ones you liked to beat. Who were the most challenging, and what were some of some of the biggest things that you overcame in trying to be a great player? Well, let me first say that I was championed by the the black community mm-hmm. uh, because I'm a girl from the '60s and '70s. There was no Title IX, gender equity, WNBA. There was none of this equality inclusion. Uh, I would play in the schoolyards with guys every day that didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, even though there were times when I was called, you know, stupid and dumb and you're never going to make anything of yourself. What's a little white Jewish girl, you know, playing with black kids in the hood? Why are you taking the train by yourself at 13 years old to Rucker Park? Mm-hmm. Because that's where the greatest players that I knew were playing. Yeah. And they were bigger, stronger, quicker, faster. Mm-hmm. But there was a respect. So... The guys that I played with, I mean, Joe Hammond is a, a playground legend in mm-hmm. New York. Arnold Duggar, some of these guys that I played with could have played in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, women that I played against on the Olympic team were my first, uh, you know, first heroes like Ann Myers or, or Pat Summit, mm-hmm. Lucy Harris, people like that. Until I got into college mm-hmm. and start started carving out an identity for myself. Um, but I knew I was a gatekeeper from day one. I knew people were paying attention um, to what we did on the Olympic team because it was the first Olympics for women in 76. Mm-hmm. And and quite frankly, we were in the locker room right before we went out on the court. And our coach, Billy Moore, the Hall of Fame coach, she said, you know, remember, I'm 17 years old, so mm-hmm. I can't even remember what I did yesterday. And she goes, ladies, what we do today we win that silver medal. It will change the course of women's basketball for the next 25 years. I might not have really comprehended what she said then, mm-hmm. but it played out to be truth. And that was an amazing experience. I don't know anybody who played for Abner Doubleday. Do you, uh-huh. I, you know, or, or for Abe Saperstein with the, you know, the NBA, I don't know, uh, you know, some I, I didn't know Pete Rozelle, you know, when the AFL and the NFL came together. Yeah. I, I didn't know when there was only, you know, six teams in the N- NHL. But I played in the first Olympics. Mm-hmm. And look at the great Olympians we've had in, in, in Bird and Tarasi and Reiner and Catchings. And yeah. it, it, it's, it's, I could rattle off some of the greatest players in the history of the game, and I'm missing some. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deladon, but it's phenomenal to know that when it, at the end of the day we're all on the same team Good to deal. try to grow the sport. It, it's a business. It's, yeah. it's just not a, a girls' club. It's a business, and we're trying to advance our business. 
Good deal. Well, Nancy Lieberman, thanks for talking with me. Thank you.